God, thank you um, for your infinite grace, for the mercies that you give us new each and every single day. May we just run to you, Jesus, for truth. May we run to you for our hope and our joy and our strength. Uh, May we never settle for something less, but may we find our supreme joy in you, Jesus Christ, and what you've done on the cross, what you've done through the giving of your Holy Spirit, what you've shown us through your word. There's just so much in you, Jesus. We don't want to miss it. So come and speak to us today. Come and show us your truth in a passage that talks about what it looks like to be your body, the church. Give us great insight and clarity. Help us see where we need to repent and change. And God, may we ultimately, ultimately glorify you with everything that we do. Because we're your church and we're your people. And so God, we come in obedience to you today. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Um, I started going to church regularly in middle school. I had gone to church as a devout two-holiday-a-year Catholic uh, for my entire life up until that point, and so I was very reluctant to receive the invitation from a neighbor to go to church because church, after all, was quite boring. I didn't understand it. This neighbor never ceased to pursue me coming to church with him, and when I went, they had this thing called a youth group, and it was awesome. And the summer between my eighth grade and my ninth grade year, in August of that year, I gave my life to Christ. I'm not going to say that everything radically changed, but the trajectory of my life in Christ definitely did. And also that summer, if you're familiar with how youth ministries work across the country, I transitioned out of middle school ministry into high school ministry. Being a part of high school ministry is awesome because the high school students are much cooler and and it's just the reality of succession. Now, the ministry, the high school ministry, was called Body Life. As I look back on it, that's a stupid name, okay? You know, ministry is now Fusion and Ignite and Patty. Like, those are cool names. Body Life is a dumb name for a high school ministry. When you're inviting someone, do you want to come to Body Life? Is is that like an herbal shake? What, What is that? I, no, I don't want to come to body life. Um, so it, it's a horrible name, but here's what the youth pastor was thinking. For this gathering of people, he wants it to live as the body of Christ. Body of Christ, life, body life. And so that was the idea. And, and we didn't know that. We didn't know that's why it was called that. It was just called that. And we didn't care. It was youth group. We went to youth group, and I love going to youth group. Why? Because the body life of our youth group consisted of junk food. You walked in, and there was that long white table that was set up. Actually, this is back before white, so they're wood. Brown table set up. There are bags of chips, every two liter of soda you can imagine. The little bitty styrofoam cups that if you put ice in them, there's no more room for soda. But you just just consume a 1,000 calories of sugar, and then you walk into a room, and the room is just a normal room. It's not an auditorium. You walk into a room, and you begin the service. The service consisted of whatever CD DC Talk had just put out. Okay, so we were all Jesus freaks for a while, and I mean, that is just DC talk. There was no worship that didn't really happen for a while, but DC talk led us in some kind of yelling and screaming. Then there'd be a mini sermon. The mini sermon was about who knows what. You really weren't paying super close attention to the mini sermon. At the end of the mini sermon, there would be a prayer time. The prayer time always consisted of us offering up prayer requests for people other than they were in the room, you know, like our aunt with the foot fungus. Like that was the prayer request that typically got. Late before the Lord, 
we would then break off into our small groups to discuss the mini-sermon. Um, that's really where it became important because it was in your small groups where you determined where you were going to go after church. That was typically Mazio's because Mazio's was close. And on Sundays, I don't know if they still do this, but they gave you free drinks. Okay, So you would go to Mazio's, you would claim to be eating to get your free drink, and then you'd just go sit there for two hours and talk to your friends. That was body life. That's what it was. And I coveted that. Every, I wanted to be at church every Sunday night for body life. And as I think back on it, like, what does it mean to be the body? What does it mean to live life as the body? As I look at that, you can assess those individual parts, and you can go, man, that was not it. That's, that's not what God's going, this is how I want my body to function with diabetes and DC talk. Like, that's not, that's not really what all I desire. But here's the truth, guys. Um, over four years... I grew tremendously. Because in, in the center of all that was Jesus. And we did have a community. We were a group. We had each other's backs. We hung out a lot. We grew. I grew. They grew. And, and you could see the difference when, you know, you get your driver's license at 16 and the, the fringe kids never show up again. You could see a difference in their lives. They didn't have a community. They didn't have that body life. This passage in Acts chapter 2 is describing body life. What is the body of Christ? It is comprised of all those who are in Christ. All those who have put their trust, their hope, and their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That comprises his body, of which he is the head. We sometimes call it the church. So what does the body look like? How does it function? What are the attitudes, perspectives? What are the things that the body should do with and for one another? Those are good questions. And those are questions that oftentimes you will hear people say, you need to go to Acts chapter 2 to find the answers to those questions. Here's what body life is. It's Acts chapter 2. And I would say absolutely yes. But Acts chapter 2 is not prescriptive. Meaning, it is not telling us exactly how to do body life. It is descriptive, meaning it is describing how they, in the first century, in Jerusalem, did body life. Now, descriptive passages, you can still glean huge amounts of truth from it. And I see seven characteristics of body life that we would be very wise to make sure are present in our body life. I see them. But to say we need to do exactly what they did, prescribed doing exactly what they did, that's foolish because one of the things they did is met daily in the temple courts. So if we were to do this exactly, we would need to move to Jerusalem to meet in the temple courts daily. Well, that's clear. That was talking about. It's talking about you need to be in church daily. Is it? Is it or is it just telling a story that we can glean a lot of truth from and we probably need to glean a lot of truth from? Verse 41 just gives us the context. This is what the body com consisted of. The body consisted of those who had accepted his message. Whose message? Peter's message at the day of Pentecost. He lays out this beautiful illustration from the Old Testament that Jesus Christ is both the Messiah and Lord, meaning he is the Son of God. The people there go, oh my goodness, I think you're right. What must we do to be saved? Peter says you need to repent and be baptized, each and every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you will receive the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. And they did. 
The body consisted of those who accepted his message and were baptized. And actually, there were 3,000 added to their number just that day. So this is a relatively large group of people. It's much easier to do body life with 12. To do body life with 3,000 takes a little bit more intentionality. So it's a relatively large group of people. I just want to make this note because we're going verse by verse. Here's the only other thing I want to say about verse 41. Do you realize that in one day, one day, through the power of the Holy Spirit and the preaching of the gospel, more followers were added to the name of Jesus Christ than in Jesus' three-year ministry? Do you realize that? One day, one dude, one sermon, the Holy Spirit, 3,000 people added far more than were ever followers of Jesus in his three years of ministry here on this earth. That's cool. Has nothing to do with today, but that's cool. So, verse 42. The first four characteristics of body life are going to be found in verse 42. They, the body, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Okay, that's one, to fellowship. That's two, to the breaking of bread. Three, to prayer. Right there, one verse, four characteristics, four things that must be present in body life. Let's break them down. The first one, the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching up to this point had been a teaching regarding repentance and the Holy Spirit. So how cool is it that that message was what birthed the church? Repent, turn back to God, who is God, the person of Jesus Christ. Believe in him, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, the church is birthed. Really cool, very simple message. Now, would the apostles begin to teach a bigger, larger message? Absolutely. We call it the New Testament. And I believe that the body should devote themselves to the teachings of the apostles, which became our Bible. So the Bible needs to be present in body life. The devotion to the teachings of Scripture. But specifically, when we're here in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we're really talking about a devotion to the gospel message. Jesus came. Jesus died. Jesus resurrected. And through faith in him, we have eternal life. That's very quick synopsis, but it's all about Jesus. We all need him. And it was that message that the body devoted themselves to. They devoted themselves to fellowship. Okay, fellowship means togetherness. So really, it's a devotion to one another. They devoted themselves to the community, to the body. Can I be honest? Church, we stink at this. And, and let me give credit where credit is due. If you are over the age of 50 in this room, you do this better than if you are under the age of 25. And, and it's, it's a travesty. It's a travesty that there is that difference. But for some reason, I don't know if it's wisdom, I don't know if it's cultural, I don't know what it is, but the older group gets staying rooted, staying committed to the body. My generation and younger, one thing rubs us the wrong way, deuces. I'm out. This, this commitment to the body requires me to sacrifice and to give and to love and to put others first. And in reality, we just want the fruit of the community. This youngest generation loves community. Why? Because they know community bears great fruit. So what do they want? They want the fruit. What does it take to get the fruit? It takes commitment to that community. We don't really want to give that. Don't tie us down on that. It can't be that way, church. If we're going to do body life together, we need to be devoted to fellowship, to one another, to the body. And it can't just be about what you're getting out of it. It's what together we can create. The third thing, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. I think this is twofold. 
I think absolutely it is intended to point us towards the Lord's Supper, towards communion. I think they devoted themselves to the last message of Jesus on Thursday night in the upper room where he broke the bread and said, whenever you come back together, you need to do this. You need to break bread, take communion, you need to do it in remembrance of me. I think that was prevalent in the life of the early church, and it should be in ours. We should break bread. We're going to do so in response here in just a few moments, okay? It needs to be a part of the body life. However, I don't think it's just exclusively the taking of the Lord's Supper. I think breaking bread means eating together as well. In fact, I'm convinced that it's both and. The body committed themselves, devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, meaning they remembered what Jesus has done, came, accomplished, and they also ate with one another. There's something spiritual about sharing a meal together, and even more so in the first century Jerusalem. Because of table ethics in first century Jerusalem, if you ate with someone, that meant you accepted them completely just the way they are. So a solid, devout Jew in the first century would never ever allow a Gentile to eat at their table, would not consider doing it because that means they accept them just the way they are, sinner and messed up and dirty. But the early church devoted themselves to breaking bread together, to eating together. Why? Because in doing so, there is something spiritual that happens and you say, I accept you. I'm bringing you to my table. I'm sharing a meal with you and we're going to do this regularly as part of our life. Because in sharing a meal we experience one another and get to know one another. The final thing that they devoted themselves to was prayer. Now, we're in Jerusalem. There's 3,000 converts, all of whom were originally Jewish. Every even mediocre Jew in the first century would pray three times a day, morning, afternoon, night. If you're in Jerusalem, you would probably at least have one of those prayers be in the temple courts. So it was very much a part of their life, and it was cool to see that prayer continued to be a staple in the body life, because now they're no longer under the old law. They, they could have said, you know, this daily praying all the time, this is not for us anymore. We have freedom in Christ. We're constantly communing with him, the Holy Spirit. We don't need to pray. No, they devoted themselves to prayer, individual and corporate. And I think they probably continued to pray three times a day. It's hard to break those habits. And prayer became a central piece to their body life. One that must be evident in our body life. Because prayer unleashes the power of God. And the fifth characteristic, I don't think we see it unless we get the fourth, which is prayer. The fifth characteristic in verse 43 is this. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Everyone, the whole body, was filled with awe. At what? At what the apostles did. Now, no one, period, would have assumed that what the apostles were doing were by their own power. So, what this is saying is they were filled with awe at the power of God that was being worked out through the apostles. Question. When was the last time you were in awe of God? Take a moment. I can tell you what caused it. I guarantee it. No matter when it was, the last time you were in awe of God was when God displayed his power in your life. His provision. His mercy. His power. He did something and you went, Oh my. When was the last time that happened? For you, 
if it's been a while, if you're having a hard time thinking of an instance, I can diagnose why. It's your prayer life. Well, that's an audacious statement. You don't know that. Maybe God just doesn't want to move in my life. <laughs> prayer unleashes the power of God. If you cannot imagine or remember the last time you were in awe of God, it's because you're not asking him to do awe-inspiring things. The body life of the early church was based in prayer. So what was the fifth characteristic? They sat around in awe of God. That should be present within our body. We should all just be sitting here going, good grief. Look at him. I cannot believe that. That distinct moment of awe is cultivated through prayer. So if the body prays, the body will be in awe of how God answers those prayers. And that's the fifth characteristic of body life. The sixth characteristic of body life is in verses 44 and 45. It says that all believers were together. Physically together? No. Impossible. Too many of them can't fit. Even like us, we, we can't all be together at one time. There's some people that just didn't come today. We had an earlier service. What, does this mean they were all together physically? No. It means they were together in the bond of peace, the unity of the Spirit. They were heading the same way. They were following the same commander. They were assuming and desiring the same goals. They were in it together. Completely unified. That is a Powerful force to be reckoned with when the body of Christ is together, when it is unified. So, they were together and had everything in common. What's yours is mine, what's mine is yours. It's all for common use. They even sold property and possessions to give to whom? Anyone in need. Was that just people within the body? No, I don't think so. The body acknowledged that everything they have, whether land or goods or resources or talents, everything they had was from God the Father. And if they were going to be the body, in order to meet the multiple thousands of needs that existed, they needed to pool their resources. And in pooling their resources, they found, oh my goodness, there's just enough to meet all these needs. Within the kingdom of God, there is more than enough, but there is not enough for anyone to have more than enough. Did you follow that? That's the way the economy of God works. The body possesses enough, but the body does not possess enough for anyone to keep more than enough. So we as the body could literally, because God has promised it, if we actually saw that our resources are not our own, but they're God's, if we saw that, we could Truly and effectively meet every single need. And you know it's true. And this is how the early church existed. Now I'll be honest. It didn't last. By Acts chapter 6, there was already disunity. There were already people who were not getting what they needed and people who were getting too much. It didn't last. And, and you, you know this concept is kind of utopic. 
of course it would work, but it's never going to work that way because everybody is selfish. Why? Why? Why does it have to be that way? Why can't we as a body just understand that what we have is not our own? It's God's and should be used to meet any and all needs. Why can't, why can't we get that? They, they did. For a short period of time, they did. Here's the best way I can illustrate it. Um, did any of you have siblings who were just not as responsible as you? Okay. My sister is more responsible than me, so this does not apply to me. But I saw this a bunch. You have a brother and a sister, two brothers. You have a father. The, the brothers are going on a church trip to Six Flags. Okay? $8 for a Coke, $9 for a hot dog. Dad's ticked because you want $60 just to eat lunch. Okay? I saw this multiple times. If you have one sibling that's more responsible than the other, it's quite likely that the parent, the father, is going to give to the more responsible child all the money for the day. I'm going to give you $80, and you both need to eat, and, and wiser child, please make sure that younger child does eats. Because what, some, some kids are like, $40, I'll get the big giraffe. <laughs> Did you eat? No. <laughs> but I got the big giraffe, Dad. Within the body of Christ, it's kind of like that. I think God looks at us and goes, I know I can entrust this brother with $80. If I give $80 to this brother, he's going to go get the giraffe. That, that wouldn't be good for the body life. But I'm going to give $80 to this brother knowing that he will take care of his own needs. He'll buy food. He'll clothe his family. He'll do that. And then he'll realize that if there are other needs, if other brothers and sisters need to be taken care of, he will know that that money was not given to him to buy all his. It was given to him to make sure that the rest of the family was taken care of. That makes sense, right? Because I know that there are people in this room who have a whole lot more money than me. And to those who much has been given, much will be expected. You haven't been given that money to go buy six giraffes. You've been given that money to take care of yours and to be able to respond in a moment's notice to the needs of the brothers and sisters. And then for some of you who are sitting here going like, I don't really get it. You're that other kid. <laughs> and that's okay. God still loves you. Like, totally, totally, we'll, we'll provide for you. We'll love you. But you're not responsible with your lunch money. And so it's hard for God to be like, I'm going to give him a bunch more lunch money so he can go buy more giraffes. It just, it's just not how it's going to work in the economy of God. You want to know what's interesting? About this sixth characteristic that they freely gave to meet all needs. You want to know what's interesting about this? I think this was the reason why the early church grew so quickly even in the midst of persecution. You're going, dude, that's because of Jesus and the preaching of the apostles. I don't think so. I think this characteristic is something that every single person is attracted to. A community of people that truly have the best of the community in mind. And they'll put their money where their mouth is. I think because they did this, this is why the early church grew. 
And then the seventh characteristic obviously didn't hurt. The seventh characteristic, verses 46 and 47, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They continuously praised God and they enjoyed the favor of all the people. When was the last time in church history that the church enjoyed the favor of all people? I can't think of it other than right here at the beginning. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I, I bet the preaching was great. I bet prayer unleashed the power of God. I know that the table fellowship, the breaking of bread was important. I know that the devotion to the teaching was there. I, I know that they gathered together daily. But I really think the reason that they gathered together and that people just kept wanting to come be a part of what they're doing was because of how they loved one another. In fact, I think Jesus said that, John 13, a new command I give to you, love one another. And this is how the world will know who my disciples are. They'll know by the way that you love. I think the body life of the early church had all of these characteristics present. But I think that sixth one was the most important, the way they freely gave to meet every single need. And then the seventh one, they faithfully sought to bring others into that community, into Jesus. They weren't selfish about it. We're, we're not the elite, the elect. We're, we are just a body of people who have Jesus, and we're going to love each other in a certain way, and we're going to do life in a certain way, and then everyone else is going to look in and go, I want that, and I want to I, I I be in a community like that. And then they ruthlessly sought to make sure others got to join that community, and the Lord added to their number daily. So what, what does that look like for us? We're, the, we're a body. What does that look like? Well, there, there needs to be these seven things present. And if you couldn't get them out of the message, here they are. Just these seven characteristics. One, a devotion to the gospel message. We have to be devoted to it. We have to be willing to share it. Jesus is everything. He's the whole. We need to let people know that. There's a devotion to one another. We cannot just keep jumping ship. We cannot just keep thinking it's about us. There's a devotion to the body. The third, the breaking of bread. The Lord's Supper accepting people, doing life with people, not just coming here and then being like, I don't, I don't know anybody else. I don't want to know anybody else. This is plenty for me. There needs to be life together. Prayer has to be evident. Seeing the power of God, I think, is a result of that prayer. So you'll know if you're praying by seeing the power of God. And we should be just marked by awe within this body. Giving freely and meeting all needs. Now, at a macro level, that's difficult, because here's my heart. Here's, here's my, not my heart, here's what I believe to be true, and I think I'm right. If I brought someone up on stage right now who said, I can't pay my electric bill, it's $425, and they're going to shut off my electricity tomorrow if I don't, I bet within about 18 seconds, someone would step up, or two people would step up and pay that bill. I'm convinced of it. I know that to be true. So the problem is not people being willing to meet needs, it's that we don't know how to make you aware of the needs at a macro level. I promise there are people sitting in here right now who are part of this body who have needs, and you're just going, I, I'm, oh, I don't want to just go up and tell them. I, I don't want to stand up and go, I'm the one who is the irresponsible son. So how, how do we do it? Well, we have one little, little bitty tool it's in our lobby. It's called the board. You pr you've probably seen it. I'm not even sure what it is. This is our attempt to facilitate making needs aware. 
has two sides. I can do these things, I can meet these needs, and then it has a side that says, I have this need. That's, our, that's like our best shot at this. So we have that so that you can make the needs that you have known. That, that board is for our body to make needs known. Now you can find any pastor. You can, I mean, it, it, there's multiple avenues, but that's the one thing we've got. But I think even that is going to leave a lot of room for people to fall through the cracks. So here's where I make this appeal. We as a body, a whole, must exude these characteristics. But we as a body need to be in community with 12 to 15 people. We call them home groups. Because within those 12 to 15 people, when one person has a need, there's 14 people left to meet that need. And then you're also going to know the needs of your people. You're going to pray together. You're going to break bread together. You're going to study the word together, the apostles' teachings. Hopefully, you're going to freely bring others into your community. It, it just is logistically better. And those communities can function in these seven characteristics so much more cleanly. And the result is still the same. Whether you have 800 or 12 People are going to see the way you love one another and go, I would love that. You had this need and it was met. I would love to be a part of that. Home groups are our best shot at doing body life completely. It's our best shot. We got the board. You can come here. This is good. We still need to be the body. We're going we're gonna to take communion together here in just a moment. We're going to pray together in just a moment. Like th- there's ways we can be the body at a macro level, but really, truly, if I wanted to nail you down on one truth, just realize that it's home groups, it's home groups, it's home groups, that that's where this is going to be fleshed out the most. And it's also the context where disciples are going to be made. So I encourage you, church, to look at these things and to ask yourself, you know, am I doing body life well? Am I contributing to the life of this body through these seven things? And today as the band comes back up, we're going to start our response by taking communion together. And 1 Corinthians 11 says that when the body comes together to do this, that you need to first examine your own heart. And so I, I think these seven things need to first be filtered through your own heart. And if you need to repent of some things, you're not committed, you're not praying, you're not freely giving to meet the needs, you need to repent of those things and ask the Lord to meet you with grace, to, to cause you to be a better component in this body. So first examine your own heart, but then First Corinthians 11 also really talks about how the church in Corinth was taking advantage of the Lord's table, like they were pushing some people away from it, they weren't being accepting, some people were showing up drunk to take communion, and they needed to call that out. Like It, it really, it, around the Lord's table, there's a lot of body life issues that can be addressed as well. And so even more than just your heart, before you take the bread and the cup today, I encourage you to look at the whole. Look at what you're contributing, what you're a part of, if these characteristics are present. And then take the step and actually live into those. And you do it right here. I would love to see you take communion together as, as groups of people. I'd love to see you praying over one another. It's, it's just part of being the body. And it takes us sometimes stepping out of our comfort zones.
prayer should be a part of this response. As the body, prayer should be ever-present. So that's why we have our pastors and our prayer team members come up here. And so part of the body life is to pray for the body. And that's, that's all it is. If you need prayer for anything, come and let the body pray for you. And then sit in awe of how good God is when he answers your prayer. So communion, when you're ready, with whomever you want, prayer open for all, and a time, a space to respond and to be the body. That's the invitation today. And I pray you take it. I pray you take it. Let's be the body. Let's be the body. Father, help us be the body. Help us follow your son Jesus, its head. Make us obedient and selfless. Check our hearts and our minds, our attitudes, our motivations. We lay them all before you. Jesus, we thank you for your body and your blood that was shed, for the cross, for the hope that we have now because of you. May we as a body remember that and celebrate you by breaking bread. May we as a body pray to see your power unleashed. Move in this moment, Holy Spirit, through your body, for your glory, to see your kingdom come and your will be done. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and take this time to respond.